You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Julia Wachtel. Julia, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Julia, we're talking on February 6th in 2023, and we're talking about a, a show that you're in at Listen Gallery called Future Shock. And and I want to talk about your work and specifically pieces in the show. And I, I really like the whole show. There's a lot of really amazing artists in here. Uh, but to begin with, can you tell me a little bit about how you feel the show fits into just this the title of the show, which perhaps references a book or something else, Future Shock? How does this work fit into that? Sure. Well, Future Shock references um, a book that was written in 1970, I believe, I could be wrong about that, by Alvin Toffler, which I have to admit I have not read, um, but now it is on my, my reading list. And But the premise of the book, from what I understand, is the um, speed at which technology is changing and the inability of people to actually process that and the psychological impact that has, you know, on our, on our psyches. So that is the premise of the book, and I think, honestly, all of the work in the show uh, does have that, fits into that um, thematic. I know um, I can say, I can talk about my own work in reference to that, if you'd like. Yeah, let's talk about your work in reference to uh, to Future Shock. Yeah, the show, and and of course, yeah, the the book, which um, yeah, I have read that, and the, that is what it's about. It seems to be more popular now. This this kind of, you know, it's it's really theorizing about uh, the kind of future that we're moving into. And even though that was written a while ago, um, it, it seems to still be very much about about the the present. You know. Um, emerging globalization and the rise of all these new subcultures and and um and technology so yeah how how does your work how do you see your work relating to that well interestingly my work given you know my age my work started pre-internet and actually pre-personal computers um i have been interested in the media mass media and the construction of um, emotions vis-a-vis, you know, the, the narrative and visual tropes of our society. And um, where we are now is just, you know, an exponential kind of um, explosion of media and transmissi- transmissibility and um, production of images, of narratives, of personal kind of creations, um, you know, vis-a-vis social media. So not to mention news and, the, you know, all the kind of Internet news sources, you know, just the mediated world we're in. So for sure the amount of information that circulates and that actually enters, you know, our own brains and experiences on a daily basis is, you know, overwhelming to say the least. And I don't think... I think what this book essentially says uh, that we don't have the capacity to absorb it is probably fairly accurate. And and to talk about your work in relation to that, um, because like you said, you know, so much of your work might be, but maybe we can go through a few pieces in the show. Um, there's one, I think it was from 
the 80s within and between. Um, this is a horizontal canvas with with kind of multiple imagery on it. It looks like a girl well, on the bottom. And so the early work, and that piece is from 1984, so the two vertical paintings I have in the show are from the very first gallery show I did in 84 at the East Village Gallery Nature Mort. And I was primarily using greeting cards and other kind of found object images as a source material for my work. So it's all appropriated. It's all found. And in the piece that you just referenced within and between, it's of two girls positioned differently in two different narrative kind of spaces. And my interest at that time was in the idea of positions of subjectivity and where are we vis-a-vis the artwork and and between each other and positions of power. So that is kind of where that work comes from. And then there's another one from that that same that same time, right? We're we're also talking about nineteen eighty four that is a another vertical painting and and relates in a similar way, or, or how do you see that one fitting in? That's, well, it, that's fascinating it, that it's from your first show, that, or your first gallery show, you're saying, right? Yes, well, it's, it's, it, you know, it's funny because it's hard to really reconstruct, reconstruct excuse me, your thought process from nearly 40 years ago. And that piece is called mm-hmm. Lifeblood, and it has an image of a little boy on a potty on the bottom, and on top is a kind of ominous, um, figure. It's an American folk art um, cigar uh, store figurine that would be outside of a cigar store. It's a Punch and Judy character that has a has a ominous um, kind of authoritarian sensibility to it. But I was I was thinking about in in anticipation of you know this interview, and I was thinking about my relationship to the other artists in the exhibition. And thinking about the boy on the potty and how the theme of excrement actually connects with a bunch of artists in the show, that I was looking at the uh, painting and the image of the little boy on the potty, which is a fairly benign, kind of allegedly cute image. And I was thinking about its connection thematically to other artists who were in the show, specifically around the idea of excrement, which has been featured in both John Miller's work, Mike Kelly, Sue Williams. So there's this, uh, there are funny, funny themes that connect artists that are not necessarily very obvious at first glance, but that speak to um, a, a kind of concern with objection and humiliation perhaps and positions of power. That makes sense to me, and it's true. It is. It is kind of odd to ask you to go back that many years and to and to talk about work um, that long ago because it's it's um, it's such early work. But that's um, that's the way you you continued working, right? The the other piece in the show that's horizontal uh, from about a decade later, 1991, is called Mutant Ninja Chernobyl. Correct. And um, <clears throat> Let's talk about this one because this is, you know, I don't want to say really an evolution of that, but you're you're following along similar ideas, and, and this 
also directly relates to the idea of this show, the the future shock, that that idea of even mutant ninja, you know, and Chernobyl are both kind of references to the pop culture and and you know catastrophic events. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about this because this is this is a lot of complexities going on here in terms of not just the characters that are represented, but also the um, kind of lines between them. Well, I started in 1987, I started employing silkscreen and as uh, a method, you know, a technique in the paintings that was was also combined with hand-painted panels. So it was juxtaposing the two. So you, you did have a kind of quasi-technological process, although it they were all hand and continue to be hand pulled. So you have um, a kind of texture that traces the human body, but nonetheless, it is they are photo silk, silk screens, excuse me, with the um, hand painted panels. And I forget what year, but uh, a few years into using the silk screens, I started a series called my landscape series. So this painting is um, from that. And its title, as you just said, Mutant Ninja Chernobyl, with an image of the Chernobyl nuclear plant, obviously post the meltdown, with two, again, greeting card characters that are the same image, but that are painted at different sizes. So they are kind of, you know, poetically speak to a form of mutation. And... um, this, I guess this painting, in some respects, does relate to the idea of technology since it is imaging a nuclear power plant um, and obviously a kind of catastrophic fallout. Um, so, I mean, that is like the most on-the-nose reading you could give it. I hesitate to go further, um, you know, analyzing my own work, but, but that's kind of basically what that painting is. And let's talk about that, that that series a little bit, which is a little outside the show, but I've seen um, images of the landscape series you're talking about that Mutant Ninja Chernobyl was part of. But that whole series uh, involved, you know, characters not unlike the ones in there and, and also um, kind of natural disasters or news images, right, as, as, as I... Remember that series? There's a um, that that one character who you know may represent the viewer or, or, or something else is um, seems almost like a witness to these things that are happening that that the viewer is implicated in in some ways because we're all witnessing these things or perhaps we have witnessed these things um, you know on our on our land in this in this in this scape. So to talk a little bit about that that series, which as you said, Mutant Ninja Chernobyl is part of, was that whole series uh, have, had a specific narrative to address kind of contemporary um, calamities or, or injustices? Well, not specifically, no. But, you know, I, to be honest, I still consider, the work that I'm doing now really is just an extension of the landscape series. Earlier in my, you know, our life as an artist, I kind of defined these specific series, which I don't really do anymore. But I essentially see myself as a landscape painter and obviously painting the, well, I like to say that I'm a, I, paint the, I paint the landscape of the internet. 
but uh, you know the internet that, that can be defined in a lot of ways um, so you know on, in the most simple terms i'm just trying to represent the world as i see it and the cartoon characters or the stand-ins the figurative stand-ins are not always cartoon characters are a kind of cast of characters that it's almost like a tableau that I create, um, a non-narrative tableau. And yes, the characters are stand-ins. I mean, for me, they are. They are witnesses. I think that's a very good um, word to use. They're implicated um, in some kind of um, poetic way within the world of the painting that they're sitting in. And weirdly, even you know, they're kind of dismissible characters, but I think they lend a, uh, a lend a kind of gravitas to the scene because there's hopefully a poignancy in their kind of existential state within the paintings. Yeah, it's it's quite the contrast. Uh, I mean, to to speak to something that, as you're saying, those characters and, and landscapes continued throughout your your work and. Um, to speak to one that I've seen called Duck in 2021, uh-huh. this is um, also what looks like a landscape, a kind of survivalist in a boat paddling through a river or something. And and then there's um, the duck uh, that's happily marching forward. So this is, as you were saying, this has been a continuation since the work in the show. And this is uh, still motifs you're working with only now you're you're actually drawing imagery from the internet is what you're saying like you're like in that particular imagery of, of duck where we're looking at a scene that does add gravitas this, this duck who should be swimming is walking along and the, the men in that in that boat are obviously struggling and on some kind of a mission that we don't understand whether it's what? far right mission or a camping mission we don't we don't know but it it, it adds a kind of um no darkness, but I think gravitas is a good word that you said, a kind of pathos to to what's happening there. Well, in that particular painting, the image of the men who have rifles and they're sitting in a kind of canoe in a swamp are actually the characters of in a reality TV show, Duck Dynasty. And the Duck Dynasty TV show is about this extended family that I think I forget what state they live in, maybe Louisiana, but I could be wrong about that. But they run a, a duck whistle business, so it's the antics of this close kind of family. Um, as it turns out, the people, those real people in real life, were and still are huge Trump, Donald Trump supporters, and one of them actually spoke uh, at the nominating convention when uh, Trump ran for the first time. So they are, you know... I don't expect everyone to know who they are, but they're actually, you know, that is the context. And then the duck is actually Donald Duck. So when I made this painting, I was I wanted to have a cartoon and I wanted something that felt nostalgic. And I, I normally don't go back in time historically with the cartoon, with the cartoons. But in this case, this is kind of uh, an older image of Donald Duck because I wanted it to connect to this feeling of nostalgia and sense that we want to go back in time, which characterized the ideology of Donald Trump um, and the MAGA people in the aesthetic of the painting. 
And then, of course, he seems to be leading the guys in the boat, um, so he, but he's also the intended victim because they're duck hunters. So it, it fed into the kind of aggrieved narrative of the uh, persecuted leader that Trump always tries to project. So that, that's what I was thinking uh, with that one. I like that. Yeah, that's 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 quite an insight into that work that that uh, yeah that I wouldn't have picked up and and to talk about what's how that's constructed because you're still using techniques that you that you used early on the works in in the show at Listen um, these are photographs you're combining with with these graphic characters but also what look like areas that are that are toned that are sepia that create almost mm-hmm. diptychs triptychs. Um, this is all acrylic on canvas and, and oil, but is there also screen printing happening here? The screen, all the photo images are, for the most part, four-color process, hand-pulled silk screens. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, that's what they are. Um, at the end of the day, they're paintings, and I want them, weirdly, I do think of them in very formal terms, and sometimes, like, there was a, a piece, this was in a show I did at Helena and Rather that you're referencing here, and another painting I did called Split. I organized the panels almost as if I was making a Donald Judd sculpture in some perverse way in terms of the kind of divisions and mathematical kind of possibilities of how the space was organized and the panels were organized. So I, I do think of them quite seriously as paintings, not just, they're not just, you know, windows into a situation. They, the aesthetic qualities of them and the formal decisions I make when put, you know, kind of designing these paintings is very important to me. I like that relationship to Judd, as you were mentioning. Um, I mean, I, I, it also made me think of, of Rauschenberg a little bit, thinking of different kind of sections and combining things and, uh, yeah, and these kind of vignettes that when they're when they're divided formally, even if it's within the same image, does something different to the viewer, right? It does make it a diptych or triptych or more, and creates a, a, yeah, a formal narrative that isn't necessarily about ten, telling the story, but it's about the figures moving through through space or different spaces, like almost almost a kind of sculptural space. It seems to me. Well, exactly. I mean, when I first started with the landscapes, it was particularly important to divide the panels, which I was already doing. But in the case of the landscapes, it was a way to kind of interfere with the legibility of the representational image. So I could treat two panels side by side that had a continuous image, but change the colors so that they no longer held together you know, as organically as they would have if it was just simply a photograph. So it does give me just a very concrete way to treat different sections of the painting uh, with different, you know, aesthetic possibilities that impact the way you process it. I mean, part of, you know, getting back to the idea of future shock and that we are overwhelmed and can't process, you know, the amount, the acceleration of technology I mean, it, the work that I'm doing now, that really speaks very powerfully to what I think about um, in the work, which is the emotional and almost nervous system 
response that we internalize to process as many things as we do. I mean, we are just processing machines. I mean, we're computers in our heads and, you know, don't think twice when the contradiction of one image after another appears in our visual field. Um, but I, you know, I propose in my work that that does impact our own psyches and how we see ourselves and, and, you know, kind of how we operate in the world. So with my work, I am very much trying to disrupt the unity of, of, a, of a painting and present the viewer with the task of having to reassemble it mentally, aesthetically, and kind of psychically, um, and to, which is the way we exist all the time in the world. So I'm, I'm in some respects just kind of condensing and um, making a more rarefied expression that is one holistic thing of, of something that's time-based that we live through in our day-to-day lives. Thank you for that. That, that. that, of course, makes a lot of sense to me and is, and is very clear. I, I really appreciate you talking about this and, and seeing the show and going through more recent work. I, I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is a little off-topic. I'm always curious. What are you reading at the moment? Well, let me let me see. Right now, I I probably have a few things I'm reading, but I'm actually reading a book written by an old friend of mine, Vivian Heller, um, which is called Analysis and Exile: um, uh, Boyhood Boyhood Loss and the Lessons of Anna Freud. And the book is about her father, who was Viennese and left Vienna, Jew, Jew in you know, Vienna in the 1930s and 40s, who left um, with the war, but who found himself as a young boy analyzed by Anna Freud. Um, and it's really a picture of the social class of Jews of that, um, of that um, economic and intellectual kind of... Uh, group during this wartime or pre-wartime period. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm reading now. Julia, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today, and I wish you well with the show, and viewers, uh, listeners can use the links here to find the show. I just want to thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your work, and uh, thank you for your time. Well, thank you for uh, talking to me. I appreciate that. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.